Good morning. Please turn in your Bibles to the book of Ephesians, the Apostle Paul's letter to the Ephesians. We want to continue our both heavenly-minded, chapters 1 through 3, and earthly good studies based on this New Testament book. This morning we'll be focusing on some verses in Ephesians chapter 6 as we approach the end of Paul's letter to the Ephesians. Warren Worsby has described the Christian life this way. The Christian life is not a playground. It is a battleground. And we must be on guard at all times. I hope that statement doesn't surprise or discourage you. It's not my intention. But I do want to speak the truth. And the truth is, the Christian life was never intended to be a playground. It is always going to be a battleground. After all, that's what Jesus and his most intimate companions experienced from the beginning to the very end of their lives. Jesus, we are told in John chapter 1, verse 11, came to his own, and those who were his own did not receive him. In fact, they hated him, which eventually led to his crucifixion, the ultimate rejection. They executed him. Later in this same account of his life and ministry, Jesus warned his closest ministry companions with these words. If the world hates you, you know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, because of this, the world hates you. In other words, don't take it personally. They hated me, and because I chose you, they are going to hate you as well. Later that night, as Jesus walked through the dark streets of the city of Jerusalem, on his way to the Garden of Gethsemane, he began to pray. And he prayed first for himself and then for the remaining 11. Listen carefully to this part of his prayer. I do not ask you to take them out of the world, but to keep them from the evil one. You see, Jesus knew that it was going to be a battle. And so he prayed to our Father who is in heaven, not that he would remove them, but preserve and protect them in the midst of the battle. And again, I'm hoping that none of us here this morning feel like we've been the victims of some slick bait-and-switch sales pitch. That would be regrettable indeed. Because regardless of what you might have been told, the Christian life was never intended to be a playground. It was always going to be a battleground. So let me set the record straight. If you are looking for a life of ease and comfort, 
smooth sailing and sunny skies, the Christian life is not the place to look. And Jesus was never interested in deceiving or duping anyone. To those who early in his public ministry came and were considering becoming his followers, Jesus laid out the following requirement in Luke chapter 9, verse 23. And he was saying to them all, Jesus was saying to them all, if anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself, surrender himself. In other words, surrender the leadership of your life to the lordship of Jesus Christ and take up his cross daily. Start living a life characterized by sacrifice day after day, week after week, month after month for the remaining years of your life and follow me. And we all know where that led. To a life of service. Where Mark chapter 10 verse 45 says, And even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. It's not a call to a life of ease and comfort. It's a call to a life of surrender, sacrifices, and service. Serving God by serving others. Later in Luke chapter 14, we find him reminding and then cautioning large crowds to count the cost before signing on. Verse 27, whoever does not carry his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. There's the reminder continues in verse 28 for which one of you when he wants to build a tower does not first sit down and calculate the cost to see if he has enough to complete it otherwise when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish all who observe it begin to ridicule him saying this man began to build and was not able to finish or what king, when he sets out to meet another king in battle, will not first sit down and consider whether he is strong enough with 10,000 men to encounter the one coming against him with 20,000? Jesus is saying to these would-be followers, read the fine print. Count the cost before signing on. This is not going to be easy and then finally on the night when he was betrayed Jesus prepared those remaining 11 men for his imminent death and departure with these words these things I have spoken to you so that in me you may have peace in the world you will have tribulation other translations offer you will have many trials and sorrows you will have trouble you will continue to experience difficulties how does that song 
how did it phrase it? It's from years ago. I never promised you a rose garden. This life, for faithful followers of Jesus, is not a playground. It is a spiritual battlefield. One popular Christian communicator wrote the following. It is absolutely true that when you trust Christ as your Savior, God removes a whole set of problems you used to have, including the nagging guilt and that empty sense of aimlessness in life that used to haunt you. But we need to understand something else. There will be a whole new set of problems that will take the place of your old problems. That is because the day you put your trust in Jesus Christ, you entered into a battle, warfare, that will last for the rest of your life. And that's exactly what the Apostle Paul wants to address here in this letter to the Ephesians. Standing firm on the spiritual battlefield. And let me just say, this battle for believers is not an option. If you are by faith trusting Christ alone for your salvation, you have entered a battle. You've been enlisted. And you've entered this battle, and how did the author say it? A warfare that will last for the rest of your life. This morning, we're going to learn how. With God's enablement, we can stand firm on this spiritual battlefield. Let me read verses 10 through, I'll read through to the end of verse 17. And then we'll take a closer look at, I'll pray, and then we'll take a closer look at verses 10 through 13 this morning, just four verses. And the reason is I want to look at the spiritual armor part of this passage a little closer next week. So this is part one of a two-part series on spiritual warfare. If you're able, please stand with me for the reading from God's Word. Beginning at Ephesians chapter 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord in the strength of His might. Put on the full armor of God so that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the full armor of God, so that you will be able to resist in the evil day, and having done everything, to stand firm. Therefore, take up the full armor of God, so that you will be able to resist in the evil day, and having done stand firm. Therefore, having girded up, having girded your loins with truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness. And having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. In addition to all, taking up the shield of faith 
which you will be able to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. This is God's word to us this morning. Please be seated. Let's pray together. Father, at the end of chapter 3, the Apostle Paul wrote these words. Now all glory to God, who is able through his mighty power at work within us to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. Forgive us for thinking of ourselves more highly than we ought. We agree with Jesus. Apart from him, we can do nothing. But the scriptures assure us that with you, all things become possible. Things like standing firm on the spiritual battlefield. Father, enable us by your mighty power to stand firm, to be steadfast, immovable, on the battlefield and beyond, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that our toil is not in vain in the Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God enables us to stand firm on the spiritual battlefield. There's our thesis for this morning. You may want to underline or highlight that word, stand firm. Did you notice? It shows up three times in just four verses. First, in verse 11, so that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. Then at the end of verse 13, and having done everything to stand firm. Then again at the beginning of verse 14, stand firm, therefore. The Navigator's topical memory system is something that I've been using for years. It has five packs of 12 verses each. And one of those packs is titled, Be Christ Disciple. And within this pack, there are a pair of verses, two verses, labeled, Be Steadfast. I could have just as easily been titled, Stand Firm. Listen to these verses. Be Steadfast, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 58. I used it in my prayer earlier. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your toil is not in vain in the Lord. 1 Corinthians 15, 58. The second is Hebrews chapter 12, verse 3. For consider him who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Stand firm, be steadfast, immovable, not growing weary and losing heart. You know, this is what those big offensive linemen do, so that Tom Brady can go on and win multiple Super Bowl rings and set all kinds of NFL records. 
You and I are to be like those offensive linemen in the spiritual battlefield, standing firm. But here's our dilemma. We are about as capable of standing firm on the spiritual battlefield as we would be on that NFL football field. Do you have any idea what the average height of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers offensive lineman is? Six feet, five inches. That's the average. One of them is six nine. You know what the average weight of them is? What they tip, and, and by the way, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers have the lightest offensive line in the entire NFL. What's the average weight? 312 pounds. Folks, these men are giants. You and I, never mind standing firm, we need to worry about our survival in facing those kinds of men. And our chances of standing firm on the spiritual battlefield are even less. The good news is, as believers, we have an almighty God who is offering to enable us to stand firm. Listen to these verses. First Chronicles chapter 29, verse 11. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the majesty and the splendor for everything in heaven and earth is yours. Jeremiah chapter 32, verse 27. Behold, I am the Lord, the God of all flesh. Is anything too difficult for me? And that's intended to be a rhetorical question. The right answer is, no, there's nothing too difficult for you to do. Revelation chapter 1, verse 8. I'm the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, says the Lord. I am the one who is, who always was, and who is still to come, the Almighty One. And this is the one who will enable you and me to stand firm on the spiritual battlefield if, if we rely on him. Look, for, look at verse 10 here in Ephesians chapter 6. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. We are enabled to stand firm by relying on his power. Finally, be strong. And this, by the way, is an imperative. It's not an option. This, command, this is a command to be obeyed. But, interesting, it is, and this is a big but, it is a passive imperative, which means that all we can do is allow the Lord to strengthen us. We are commanded to allow God to strengthen us. This is not a strength that you and I can, can come up with on our own. 
You cannot buy it, borrow it, steal it, earn it, or even create it by heading to the gym over at Good Life. The best that we can do to gain this kind of power is to put ourselves in places, engage with people and activities that will allow God or invite God to pour his strength into our lives. At the very least, this means that we will do all that we can to avoid sin. Because we know that sin separates us from God. And when we do sin, we will be quick to repent and ask God for his forgiveness. Because of the promise in 1 John chapter 1, verse 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Paul's command to be strong is referring to a supernatural empowerment that comes from Almighty God alone and is available to, to all those who will trust Christ alone for their salvation. To obey this be strong imperative, believers will need to acknowledge that the strength that we do possess is limited. Understand that it has nothing to do with physical strength, power, and or position. Thirdly, confess any known sin and then look to God for supernatural enablement. Be strong. The psalmist writes in Psalm 20, verse 7, Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. They are brought to their knees and fail, but we rise up and stand firm. The world offers all kinds of things in which you and I can put our trust. Perhaps not in chariots and horses anymore, but certainly in wealth, possessions, and or personal accomplishments. In education or learned skills. In friends and family. In politicians, doctors, masks, social distancing or physical distancing. Maybe vaccines. Let me ask you, in whom or in what are you putting your trust? Notice the rest of verse 10. Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Three different Greek words are being used here to describe the power and the strength that God wants to enable you and I with. Translated into English, they become power, strength, and might. Turn back with me to Ephesians chapter 1. 
Paul is actually praying for these Ephesians at this point, beginning at verse 18. And look at verse 19. And what is the surpassing greatness of his power toward us who believe? Power. These are in accordance with the working of the strength of his might. Same trilogy that we find in chapter 6, verse 10. And verse 20 continues here in in chapter 1. Which he brought about in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places. Okay, so, so God wants to strengthen us with the same strength that he used when he raised Jesus Christ from the dead. This is a supernatural empowerment. No wonder Paul is found boasting about his weakness in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Three different times I begged the Lord to take it away. He's struggling with a physical ailment that he believes is actually hindering his ability to share the gospel. I begged the Lord to take it away. Each time he said, my grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. So now I am glad to boast about my weakness, Paul says, so that the power of Christ can work through me. That is why I take pleasure in my weakness and in the insults, hardships, persecutions, and troubles that I suffer for Christ. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Brothers and sisters, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Not in your own strength, but by allowing God to strengthen you with the surpassing greatness of his power to all those who believe. God enables us to stand firm on the spiritual battlefield by relying on his power and by relying on his provision. Look at verse 11. Put on the full armor of God so that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. God provides the armor, but it's up to us to actually put it on. Remember our previous put-off, put-on discussion back in chapter 4 of Ephesians? Turn back to chapter 4 and look at verse 24, actually 22. Begins that, in reference to your former manner of life, you lay aside or put off the old self, which is being corrupted, then drop down to verse 24, and put on the new self, which in the likeness of God has been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. Here in chapter 6, verse 10, 
we are commanded to allow God to strengthen us. To put on. But before we put on, we need to take off that inflated view that we have of ourselves. Stop acting like the superhero. That we are completely independent, self-sufficient, super capable, all-powerful agents. Verse 11 tells us to put on the full armor of God, which, along with God's strengthening, enables us to stand firm on the spiritual battlefield. By the way, put on is the second of the three imperatives we find in this short passage. And this one is clearly our responsibility. God has provided the armor. It's our responsibility to put it on. So that, purpose statement, we will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. Schemes refer to everything and anything the devil will use to disrupt, discredit, and and or derail the plans and purposes of God. In Genesis chapter 3, we read the story of Adam and Eve's failure. In Matthew chapter 4, we learn of Jesus' success. But both were involved in a personal, direct encounter with the schemes of the devil. And this devil and his demons are still active to this very day, doing whatever they can to cause people like you and me to question, to deny, to disregard, and to disobey the revealed will of God. They'll do everything they can. C.S. Lewis sounded this appropriate warning. There are two equal and opposite errors into which we can fall about devils. One is to disbelieve their existence. The other is to believe and to feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. The other point I would like to make before we leave this verse is that the devil is a defeated foe. Christ has won the victory. As believers, we are playing on the winning team. Hebrews chapter 12 verse 14 reads, Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things that through death he might destroy the one who has power over death, that is, the devil. And yet, at the same time, it would be very unwise for us to not acknowledge that a wounded animal or someone with nothing to lose is probably the most dangerous creature of all. Be strong. Put on the full armor of God. And that's an order. Those are imperatives. 
God enables us to stand firm on the spiritual battlefield by relying on his power and on his provision and by relying on his, I had to keep the P's going, perspective. Verse 12 provides us with God's assessment of this spiritual battlefield. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. There are three observations that I'd like us to consider here. Number one, notice that the Apostle Paul includes himself in this struggle. You see, there are no exceptions. If you are a believer, you are involved in a spiritual battle. It is unavoidable. The devil wants to undermine your sanctification or the process of sanctification in your life and prevent you from becoming the the effective ambassador that God has called you to be. To be a friend of God is to be an enemy of the devil. Secondly, this battle in which we are engaged is not against flesh and blood. It is an invisible opposition. You can't see it with your eyes, but you may be able to see some evidence. But the battle is taking place in the spiritual realm. After all, Human beings are first and foremost spiritual, eternal beings housed in these flesh and blood bodies. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 1 explains, For we know that when this earthly tent, our physical bodies, we live in is taken down, that is, when we die and leave this earthly body, we will have a house in heaven, an eternal body made for us by God himself and not by human hands. If you cannot, by faith, accept this spiritual dimension of life, or you choose to deny its existence, this will sound like foolishness to you. Hocus pocus, utter nonsense. Thirdly, the third observation is from where the attack is coming. Paul identifies a two-pronged attack. First are the rulers, powers, and world forces in this darkness. In other words, the dominant world system, still invisible, but in which you and I live and work and play. It is a system that opposes all things related to God. And I recognize that there have been times in human history when this world system seems to be more favorable to God things than at other times. But I'm really not sure that plays to our advantage. Here in North America, it seems to me that the evangelical church has been, over the years, lulled to sleep. 
As a result, believers have become increasingly anemic, weak, and lazy when it comes to spiritual exercises. And now, as the storm clouds are forming on the horizon, most evangelical Christians would agree that apart from God's divine intervention, things are going to get a whole lot more difficult for the true church of Jesus Christ in North America. We may want to fasten our seatbelts and hang on. My prediction is that our faith is about to be tested like it has never been tested before. The second prong of this spiritual battle involves the invisible spiritual forces. The devil, demons, and demonic forces. And so we need to be strong, put on the full armor of God. And although there is no imperative in this verse, I'd like to insert one if you don't mind. We need to be on our guard. Be aware and be alert at all times. God enables us to stand firm on the spiritual battlefield by relying on his power, on his provision, on his perspective, and by relying on his providence. Providence, as defined by Merriam-Webster Dictionary, as divine guidance or care. Notice verse 13. Therefore, take up the full armor of God, so that you will be able to resist in the evil day and having done everything to stand firm. Therefore, at the beginning of this verse, signals that the Apostle Paul is asking us, based on what he has just said, this is the appropriate response, what he's about to say. Take up the full armor of God. Truth Righteousness, the gospel of peace, faith, salvation, the word of God. We'll be looking at each of those elements of the armor next week. But until then, know that the Greek word translated take up is our third imperative in these verses. And note the repetition, put on take up, emphasizes, both of them, our responsibility. This is not going to happen if we're looking for a comfortable couch and ignoring these commands. Perhaps it indicates a sense of urgency as well. Paul's warning of the spiritual battle in which we are engaged as faithful followers of Jesus. You and I, the Rock Community Church, genuine followers of Christ, are all in the devil's crosshairs. And increasingly so, as we become determined to fulfill the good works that he's prepared for us to do in advance. The good news is, 
Greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world. Look at the rest of verse 13. So that, here's the purpose statement, the reason why we are take up the full armor of God. So that you'll be able to resist in the evil day and having done everything to stand firm. Wow. God enables you and I to stand firm on this spiritual battlefield by relying on his power, on his provision, on his perspective, and on his providence. He is able. He is able. I know he is able. I know our Lord is able to carry us through. This week, you will stand firm on the battlefield by you fill in the blank. Which of these can you focus on making part of your life this week? His power? His provision? His perspective? Or his providence? And what would that look like specifically? If you picked up the sermon notes, you can write out your answer to that question. If nothing else, at a bare minimum, I'd recommend that we consider the first part of verse 18 in Ephesians chapter 6. Look at the recommendation. Be on the alert. Or as Warren Worsby put it, that quote I used at the beginning of the message, we must be on guard at all times. The New Living Translation translates this same phrase, stay alert, and it continues, and be persistent in your prayers for all believers everywhere. Why not join us for prayer meeting this Tuesday night at 7 o'clock? You can meet right here at the church. Or there's another option. Steph will send out the email. There will be a link you can click on and gather electronically, virtually, to pray with other believers here from the Rock Community Church. 7 o'clock, Tuesday night. And you don't have to feel pressure to pray out loud. Like we did during the pastoral prayer. Allow others to lead, but join your hearts so that their words become the expression of your heart. If that doesn't work for you, corporately, then can I suggest you do it at least individually pray ask God for his strength you know it doesn't matter how old or how many years you've walked with God you will never outgrow the need for God's enablement because we're all in this spiritual battlefield until God takes us home let's pray
Father, we are a vulnerable and exposed people. Perhaps more vulnerable and exposed than we would like to admit. Open our eyes, Lord, so that we'll be a humble people. A people that is looking to you for divine enablement. We marvel and admit that we cannot comprehend the extent of your greatness and your power. Nothing is too difficult for you. You are the almighty God. Thank you for these commandments to be strong, to put on, to take up, and for your desire to be involved in each of our lives, empowering us. Forgive us for our tendency to go it alone, to turn to you as a last resort. May each one of us, throughout this coming week, make intentional efforts to invite your empowering influence in our lives, through our activities and through our prayers. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.